I tend to move around while I talk, so I'm going to turn this one off and go with the mobile one. If you'll open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And if you are a student of the Bible, we might think that we'll talk about uh, words of Jesus today that's contained in Matthew's chapter 5. That's absolutely correct. The beginning of the chapter begins with what we call the Beatitudes. These are uh, basic sayings, blessed is this for this, blessed is this attitude, this person, for theirs is uh, the kingdom of heaven, or they will be comforted, and, and things of the sort. But if you look in Matthew chapter 5, that's the first part of the chapter, and the rest of the chapter, the rest of the chapter is, is Christ fulfilling the law, and not in the sense of Christ being the propitiation for our sins, being the Passover lamb, uh, going to the death of the cross, but he is he's talking about the new law that will be instated versus the old law, and how the law that will uh, be in effect, that we're underneath now, the new covenant, is so much better. And he says a lot in here. You have heard that it was said, and makes a statement. And then he explains how the new law is, is almost harsher than that old law, which was already a harsh law. He says this time and time again, you have heard that it was said of old, you have heard that it was said of old, furthermore it has been said, you've heard that it was said. He says this over and over and over again. For instance, if we look in uh, verse 17, starting this, do not, think that I came to do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So he goes on and talks about murder. He says, ah, you have heard it said of old, you shall not murder. Going back to the Ten Commandments in Exodus and what we read in Deuteronomy. You shall not murder, but whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. That's the old law statement. But I say to you, Jesus says, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So he's saying that it's not only murder now that makes you in danger of the judgment. If you're angry with your brother, it's the same punishment as murder. He goes on to talk about adultery. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of the old, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever lusts after someone else in their heart and they're married, they've committed adultery. And he goes on to talk about oaths. Again, you've heard that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perform your oaths to the Lord. But Jesus takes it a step further and says, you shall not swear. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. It's as simple as that. And what we're going to talk about today is the last part of this, and that's going the second mile. This picks up in verse 38. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and, to, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You've heard that it was said, once again we have that phrase, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. With, well, a little side note on that, I can't read this without, without saying. The, 
The law was, you shall love your neighbor. That was the law. But the Pharisees had added, later on, and hate your enemy. The hate your enemy part is not found in the Old Testament. Hate your enemy part is not found. So when Jesus says this, he's throwing back to them, well, here's one, even one of your Pharisaic laws, and let's rework this to be uh, a more fulfilled law. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others do? Don't even the tax collectors do this? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So we're going to look at that last section, verses 38 through the end of the chapter, about going the second mile. Now, when we say going the second mile, we've got to get a little bit of a historical context. Um, in New Testament times, it was a part of the, the Roman law that if there's a messenger or there's a, a, um, some kind of courier that had to be taken somewhere, they could impress anyone within the empire to carry that load, to go with them one mile. Um, we read this, uh, Simon the Cyrenian was compelled to carry Jesus' cross. There's that law in action. Um, he was compelled to carry this cross because that was what the law was. Jesus, though, says don't go a mile with resentment, with bitterness. Jesus says you need to go another mile on top of that with cheerfulness and good grace. And so we'll look this morning about the attitudes that are associated with living with a going the second mile attitude. So talking about that, that first, um, the first mile, this first mile is a mile of compulsion. First mile is a mile of compulsion. And compulsion comes from the Greek word uh, angarioo, which is basically to um, impress into service. It was not a job that they had until someone came and said, this is your job. They're impressing someone to carry a load for them. We've talked about Simon the Cyrenian, but what Jesus is saying here is that you should not only have the attitude of doing what is asked to be done. That's your baseline. That's your baseline. What Jesus is saying is that you need to go another mile, which is going to be more difficult. So let's talk about uh, the comparison of miles here. You have the first mile. The first mile is a mile of compulsion. You're impressed into doing this. It's a mile of compulsion. Compulsion. But if we equate this to us as Christians, and we're going to go straight to application when we're going through this. If we equate this to our attitude as Christians today, many of those who claim to be Christians have the attitude of only going the first mile. Questions they might ask is, well, why should I do more? Well, why should I sign up to teach a Bible class when Trey does such a great job and Trey is working to make sure all the Psalms classes run correctly? Why should I sign up to do that when other people do that for me? Why should I um, have a Bible study out in the public eye when Clay Bethay already does that? Why should I write up um, material to spread around when Ms. Sherry already does that? That's, the, that's the, the attitude of just the first mile. Another question people with the first mile attitude might ask is, well, how many services do I have to attend? come here Sunday mornings, that's my mile of compulsion, that's what I read of in the scriptures, but what we read of in Hebrews 
do not forsake the assembling of the saints. When is the assembling of the saints? Well, it's any time that we meet together. Those who have a first mile attitude might ask, well, how much do I have to give? What is the number that I have to meet in order to be good to go? How much work do I have to do? We talked about that. And one that I added on here because we've got a gospel meeting come up, coming up is, uh, do I have to attend gospel meetings? That is a first mile attitude. And that is very contrary to what Jesus is talking about here. Those who raise such questions, they betray themselves. Those who raise such questions are seeing, trying to see with how little they can get by with to still be saved. And that's contrary to the entire New Testament that we read about. In reality, it is a matter of dedication and commitment. So what is Jesus talking about in the attitude when he says, go to the second line? Because if someone came up to me and said, Jonathan, I need you to go walk a mile with Okay, I'll walk him like Once I hit that mile, I'm done. I'm, I've got other things to do. What Jesus is talking about with that second mile is do what is asked of you to be done and go another mile past that. Then this mile is a mile of grace. It's much more difficult to go the second mile. I will readily admit that. It is difficult to go that second mile. You're tired from the first mile. It's difficult to go this mile of grace, but it is a display of goodness. It's a display of kindness. And it's accomplished by the love of the Lord. Turn with me to John, uh, the 14th chapter. John talks a lot about love, not only in his gospel, but we'll turn to his epistles later on in 1 John. We'll turn to John, the 14th chapter, specifically verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. This second mile is accomplished by a love of the Lord. If we are going to go the second mile, John records Jesus' words and says, you're going to do it because you love the Lord, and that's what he told you to do. We can go to 1 John as well. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. And then let's go back to verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Not timidness, as we talked about this morning, not, not a, a fear or anything like that, but we may have boldness, because as he is, so are we in this world. Well, let's read what God is. This, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loves us. And we read elsewhere that God is love. Well, let's apply this, this idea of the miles to this passage. There is no fear in love. If we're only going the first mile out of fear about what's going to happen to us if we don't go the first mile because that's the law, we don't have love. Perfect love casts out fear. And you say, okay, I know that I have a mile of compulsion, but I'm adding on a mile of grace as well. Those who travel the second mile have an attitude of, what more can I do? They're constantly looking for more work that needs to be done. 
It's no longer a matter of, well, how many, how much, what's, how do I come from here and meet the cap, meet what I have to to be saved. It's what more can I do? And that's a very important distinction for us to make as Christians. This attitude is shown in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's turn there. The word abound is used. When we think about that word abound, we sometimes just read over it, and that's, that's part of what Paul is talking about to the Corinthians. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That word abound means to overflow, excel. It's no longer filling up the cup. Filling up the cup is not abounding. Going the first mile is not abounding, but overflow, excelling, going the second mile is what abounding is, is talking about. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38 shows this attitude in reverse. Let's turn there. Luke chapter 6. Judge not that you be not judged. Condemn, condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. This is, the second mile is not, at, I'm trying to think how to word this. I always kind of fumble over this part. Uh, I, I go over this with my kids a lot in school. We talk about what they, what's the golden rule, and they'll be able to tell you. Do, other, do unto others as you want them to do to you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Notice it's not... I'm going to take a second and find my words because I'm going to say it backwards. Treat others the way you want to be treated. It's not, I'm waiting for you to treat me somehow so I can treat you the same way. It's, I'm going to actively treat you a certain way because that's how I want to be treated. And that's, a, that's an important distinction to make. It's, it's, it is proactive rather than reactive. You are not reacting to the way, way someone is treating you. You are acting proactively. That's kind of a weird way to say it. But you are proactive in your treating of other people. And that's that second mile attitude. That is the abounding that Paul is talking with, about there. Abounding in every good work is what he says. Jesus goes on and he tells other applications of the second mile attitude. We're going to look at a handful of these. This is still found in Matthew chapter 5, so we can turn back there. The first one, turn the other cheek. This is verse 38 through 39. Wind smitten, turn the other cheek. The striking of someone's cheek is both an insult and an injury. And it was, it was common if we read uh, the law in Exodus uh, chapter 21. I'm looking to find the exact verse. The, the premise there is that um, Exodus 22, 26 to 27. Oh, that's the cloak. Uh, the, the premise here in Exodus, and it's told again in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus, is that uh, the idea of an eye for an eye. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That was if someone strikes you on the cheek, well, you strike them back on the cheek. If, you, if a uh, tooth is knocked out, you knock their tooth out. 
which is which is already a step uh, towards the good side of what was common in the world at that time, which was if you if you punch me in the eye, I'm gonna kill all your family. That was the law at the time. If you knock my tooth out, I'm gonna knock all of your teeth out. If you uh, hurt my servants, I'm going to hurt all of your servants. That was common law at the time, but the Judaic law, the law of Moses, stated that eye for eye, and keep it at that in your even. But what Jesus is talking about, notice he says, for you've heard that it was written, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but what he tells them, whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other. There's no more retribution there, because you have a second mile attitude, and that is a difficult mile, a mile of grace. You're not sinking down to their level, you're not, uh, you, you are not sinking to their level, you are rising above this personal affront. He also talks about uh, being sued for a tunic. Uh, we can go back to Exodus. I, I've got the verses for these. Exodus chapter 22 and verse 26. The law was, and I'm talking about lending money, we'll go ahead and read that. If you lend money to any of my people, this is verse 25 of Exodus 20, 22, you shall not be like a money lender to him, you shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? It will be that when he cries to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. And in other uh, writings of the law in the uh, Old Testament, read that you were not to take someone's cloak. That was part of the law, that you would not take someone's cloak. And so Jesus here says, if anyone sues you or needs a pledge from you or asks for your clothing, go ahead and give them your cloak. They're not taking it from you, but you are offering that up. You're not being compelled to go that first mile and, and give them your cloak. You are actively, you are proactive in saying, take my cloak also. The Christian always puts other people first. And we have a, a way of thinking in modern times that I have my certain rights and you have your certain rights. But a Christian's attitude will be willing to give up some of those rights in order to help someone else. The Christians should never stand upon their rights because you should consider someone else first. That's the Christian attitude. That's the second mile attitude. Give to the one who asks, verse 42. Don't turn away someone who wants to borrow. This is an attitude talking about those that are needy, those that um, are, in, are in need of something, let's read this. Give to one who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn him away. And I think it's important to note here that we have other biblical passages that tell about one who is truly in need. Uh, we can go to 1 Timothy. Let's go ahead and go there. We've looked at this recently in a Bible study. Uh, I would implore you to join us on those Bible studies. So we're studying through the... Uh, the Psalms right now, we're studying through Timothy. We started Second Timothy today. But in 1 Timothy, towards the end of that, 1 Timothy chapter 5, what we looked at was those who were truly needy. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 talks about... Uh, if someone will not work, neither let him eat. So what Jesus is talking about here is not contradicting these passages, 
But those who are truly needy, those who are truly needy and truly asking for something, give to them. That's going the second mile. We're not encouraging slothfulness or, or sin. Our attitude must be proper, proper towards those who are truly in need. And, and we're not involved with um, selfish or revengeful giving. We're giving liberally. We're giving generously. We mention that um, often when, before we give back to God. We're not doing this out of compulsion. We're doing this because we know that we need to do this to keep, it, to keep the work going. And we're going the second mile, not concerned with what is the number that I have to meet, but giving liberally and generously. And the final one talks about loving your enemy. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But he says, but I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. This is talking about people who hate us, people who hate you. There are people in this world that hate us. What is our attitude towards them? Is it hatefulness back? Well, this group of people hates Christians, so I hate this group of people. I don't think any of us here would say that. But I would be lying if I said it hasn't crept into my brain a time or two, that I hate this group of people over here because they hate us. Is that the second mile attitude? Is that what Jesus is talking about? I don't think so. Remember our, our, our golden rule that we, we, we teach children. Treat others the way you want to be treated. That is a proactive treating. I am treating them well because I want to be treated well even if they hate me. That's what Jesus is talking about here. This word love is um, an agape love. We, we talk often about the, the various types of, of Greek words for love. This is the same love by which God showed the world. Think about that. This is the same love that God showed the world. Well, what does that mean? We go to John 3. We've got a discourse there about God loving the world so much that he did what? Gave his only son. God loved the world so much that even the world hated him. Even though people reviled Jesus, spat on him, sent curses at him, hit him, crucified him, that God, Jesus as God, endured all of that through love. And so when Jesus is saying loving your enemy, he gives us the greatest example of that that we have ever seen. That as they are killing him, he knows exactly what they have all done. He knows what they will do. He knows what their children will do after him towards his people. That Jesus says, let it, let it be so. I know that I have to go through with this. God has sent me here for a purpose. And Jesus went through with that purpose. Anyone can love the loving, which is what Jesus talks about. Anyone can love the loving. It's easy. It's really easy for me when my kids love me in the classroom, love them back. We have a great day. But when my kids, some of our teachers know, when our kids are a little uh, discipline challenged, a little more discipline challenged on some days, well, it's, it's a little more difficult to, uh, to love them back. But what we have here is that anyone can love the loving, but it takes a second mile attitude to love those who hate you, who don't love you. Jesus talks about here that uh, if you love those who love you, what, what reward do you have? You, you've done the mile of compulsion. You've done the thing that you're supposed to do. 
the tax collectors, which would have been the lowest status as Jesus is talking to Jews. That's the lowest you can go as a tax collector. Even the tax collectors love people who love them. Tax collectors have families. They love their families because they love them back. And if you greet only your brethren, greet, love, or sometimes use the same. If you greet only your brethren, the tax collectors greet their brethren. Tax collectors say hello, how are you doing? Help those who out who help them. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. It takes a second mile attitude to turn the cheek, to give them your cloak, to give to someone who is asking something of you, and to love your enemy. Let's turn to Luke chapter 17 before we, we close out our thoughts. Luke chapter 17. whole paragraph here starting in verse 5 of Luke chapter 17. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The apostles are earning for or working for knowledge. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in a seed. And it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterward you can eat and drink? Does he think that the servant, or does, excuse me, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all those things which are your commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what is our duty to do. The point of what Jesus is saying here is that even as you are serving your master, we are serving God as Christians. Even as you're serving your master, serving God, do we see God thanking us for serving him? I don't see that. But we have a debt to pay. So we are doing things out of not only compulsion, but we looked at in John, that love that we have. Our lesson this morning has been about this the second mile attitude, going the second mile. I want to encourage us all this week to think actively about what can I do today, what can I do this week to go the second mile. Sometimes it's very simple things. When I say go a second mile, um, the distance does not matter. The distance does not matter. If you are compelled to do something, you might be compelled to go three feet. Well, go another three feet. If you are compelled to go... 10 yards. Go another 10 yards. The distance is not what's important here. That would be a very Pharisaic, Pharisaic way of looking at it. Jesus' point is that when you have a compulsion to do something, that's following the scriptures. But it's not seeing what's the bare minimum that I have to do. It is. How can we grow the work here? We, we studied uh, in Psalms about the work. Think about the work that we're doing here at Walnut Street. Will the work continue on after we're gone? After everyone in this room is gone, will there be a church in Jessup? Hopefully, yes. The way that we do that, the way that we make sure that there is still a church in Jessup to evangelize to this community, to evangelize in this area, is by making certain that we are going the second mile. Churches don't last by going the first mile. That's the mile of compulsion. 
churches last, the work continues. People grow and are edified, and the church grows and is edified not only in uh, numbers, but in spirituality and health and all kinds of things by going the second mile. So that's our lesson for this morning. I, want, I would like all of us to leave here today and think about going the second mile. Don't just go where you're compelled to go. Don't go where you are impressed to go. Because as Jesus said in, in Luke, servants are supposed to serve. Masters don't often thank their servants for, for what they've done, because that's your duty to do. So take it further than that and do it out of love, as we read of in John. Going the second mile, um, it, it is an attitude that a Christian should have. But you have to start on that journey. You don't have to go the first mile. That first mile is that mile of compulsion. The first mile on the journey of a Christian really would start with baptism. It would be uh, confessing Jesus to Christ. It would be repenting of your sins. It would be immersed in baptism. That's the first mile. And those of us that are saved have done that. The second mile is everything after that. So, if there's anyone that needs to respond to the gospel call, whether it's the first mile or the second mile, I bid you come while we stand and while we sing the selected hymn.